Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cark Macross Credit Union. Getting hitched? Cark Macross Credit Union likes to say I do when financing your wedding loan. O'Neill Street, Cark Macross or CarkMacrossCU.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. Good morning. It's Tuesday, April the 23rd. I'm Orla Carmody standing in for Michael Reed for today. Lovely to be back with you. Coming up on the programme, we'll hear from Raid McGuinness, Finnegal MEP for Midlands Northwest and Vice President of the European Parliament on what's being described as climate shaming regarding eating meat and the impact that is having on farmers. The violence in the north and the reaction to the very sad death of Lyra McKee, a demand for a greater Garda presence in Meath, local representatives being abused in public places and the latest from the teachers conference all coming up on the programme. But first, an arson attack on a house in Drogheda's St. Lawrence's Park in the early hours of this morning. The discovery of a gun and a number of pipe bombs near Moneymore in Drogheda yesterday afternoon and shots fired at a house in Dundalk on Sunday night. Three very worrying incidents all being investigated by Gardaí and here to discuss them is Councillor P.O. Smith, Labour Councillor and Councillor Richie Colhan, the Gael Councillor. And obviously as a former Garda detective, Richie, I'll start with you. You might have a little more insight as to what's going on. How long is it since you're on the force yourself? Remind I, us. I retired in uh, 2007, so I'm, I'm, I'm A few years out of it yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but obviously you've followed these things very closely. Absolutely, and um, I suppose it's most essentially in Drogheda because that's what affects everybody in the town that, that I live in and Pio lives in and we all live in, and so we, we have, we have a, a, a duty of care to, to those people to ensure that <coughs> the best possible service is given to them, and I suppose I would you know, in relation to the pipe bombs and the the guns that were found in Moneymore last night or yesterday, it's extremely worrying, um, and it probably shows the absolute contempt that these people have for uh, ordinary decent people. Um, when you consider that uh, pipe bombs generally can be very volatile and, and unstable, um, you have a, a number of pipe bombs, I believe, and a, a gun. Uh, hidden in a in an area where children frequent. Now, do we know where they actually hidden or where they dumped in the area just as a, as a sort of a, a rough piece of ground that you could just dump something on? Well, I believe that they were they were placed in an area where that, that where they were accessible to whoever uh, were in t- whoever was intending to use these uh, the, these items. But what I'm saying is that it's the it's the contempt that people have shown the total disregard for life uh, that these people have. 
Um, I know that uh, that area is used by children who go to school on a daily basis um, over to uh, Ballymacaney. And, uh, you know, God God help us if somebody had come across one of those. If anyone had stumbled over I mean, even the, the gun alone, uh, you know, I mean, in the hands of a child, uh, had all the ingredients for a serious tragedy. Now, obviously, we're saying it's good that they have been taken out of circulation. But as you say, the danger was, was, was so, uh, so obvious there. Cancer Pew Smith, you know this area very familiarly, and again, you've you've worked very closely with the community <coughs> there on the ground. What are you hearing? Well, I was in Money Mall uh, yesterday evening and in Castle Manor yesterday evening, and uh, people are just people are just scared. Number one, and number two, they feel depressed uh, with what's actually happening in the two communities because it's constant, and this is not something that just happened overnight. It's something that's gone on for years now, and it's getting worse. And obviously, we, we, we saw other incidences as well. Um, we, we saw uh, the uh, Money More shots fired last week as well into a house there. And I know there was a, a great um, sense of the, the, the family involved not being involved in any criminal activity. And I know people wanted to make that very, very clear. But we're seeing too much of this. There were shots also fired in Dundalk last night. What's going on? What's going on? There were shots fired in Mullen as well there last week. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's happening uh, isn't always getting reported. And... Uh, What's going on is that there is definitely a, a very significant feud that's probably extending across the county from, from Drogheda to Dundalk because, uh, as Richie knows only too well, criminals uh, are just not isolated now. There's an interconnection and uh, there may well be uh, elements of, of gangs uh, connected in Dundalk and, and Drogheda. Uh, that's one thing that's going on. The second thing that's going on is that there is an erosion of values now in society and it's been, it's been uh, spearheaded by criminal organisations because now the value of life has been uh, really significantly decreased because as Richie said if a child coming through that gap had discovered one of those bombs or that gun uh, the people who were leaving that there just had no awareness of that anymore and I mean uh, children are becoming criminalised by these gangs now at an early age so people, young kids around 12, 13, 14 it's not uncommon for them to be involved in serious activity and when children become criminalised like that by the gangs uh, they lose a sense of the normal values that other children have And what evidence have we of that happening here in the North East actual criminalisation of young children have we any evidence or are we just assuming that they're, they're maybe involved in some way? Well, of course, there's a you know there's there's a uniting factor in relation to all this, and that uh, comes down to drugs and money. Um, unfortunately, you have a, a proliferation of drugs right throughout the country, and Drogheda is no different. Uh, as Pierre said, in this in this uh, situation, you have uh, a number of criminal uh, individuals uh, connected to gangs that are involved in drugs, and there's a feud going on, and there's uh, retaliation on a, almost a daily basis now. But along with that as well, I think that the, you know what has happened over the last 15 to 20 years is that you have an element of intimidation also uh, of the of the local people and the, and the, the decent people that live in these areas. You have an in, in, intimidation coming from these criminal gangs who. You know, who who who, call, who who create a situation where people are af- afraid to report things to 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 the guards because there will be there will be consequences for that. Um, probably in this case, I would I would I would hasten to add where the guns and the pipe bomb were found. I would imagine that this was a, a Garda in, intelligence-led uh, operation uh, that recovered these uh, items. But of course, the guards can't operate on their own. They need the public. 
the people that are out there to be their eyes and ears. And I think probably and if the people are intimidated, as you're saying, if they feel threatened in their own home, they're high, they're highly unlikely to come forward with information, even if they know it. Would that be your sense of it, Pia? Uh, it is to some extent, but you do have some uh, very brave individuals who are who have come forward and have stood their ground and have suffered very very serious intimidation and have still stood their ground, and they need the support of the community and, and the state. And one of the things that we're going to roll out in Drogheda is in the next, hopefully in May, is a training program for NGOs, uh, GPs, people on the front line in relation to how to address the issue of drug intimidation. So when somebody comes and presents themselves to uh, a person of trust, say, uh, that the individual would uh, know how to speak to uh, that person who's saying that he or she has been intimidated and how to direct them in the proper way to so you're, you're, support. So you get a sense that somebody mightn't go forward to the Gardaí but they might go forward to their, their GP or to somebody in a refuge or somebody in a, some centre, some NGO as you say, where they might feel an element of, of, of security in, in revealing yeah, some information. Yeah, because this has worked very well in Limerick and was a major factor in relation to taking down some of the drugs gangs in, in Limerick as well. So people need to be able to feel safe uh, that they can actually, and they, they, they need to be able to to come along and talk to people and say, listen, I'm not in a place at this point in time where I can actually say what's happening to the guards, but they can actually share it with somebody. And then, you know, that individual that they're sharing it with can walk with them over a period of time and allow that individual who's been intimidated to make their own decision. But it's important that the community respond uh, in a way as Richie said, that supports the guards. That sounds like a very useful initiative, but at the same time, there's a strong sense that we're losing this battle. Is there a complete disconnect between drug usage and supporting these criminal gangs? So you have youngsters (coughs) using drugs recreationally and just disconnecting it from the fact that they're endangering their own families. Well, this is the the value system that I'm talking about. And it isn't just youngsters. I mean, there are people listening to this uh, show this morning who are at, at work who probably went out and bought some coke over the weekend and there's no connection between buying the coke and the dealer and the shootings that took place in the M1 business park. Similarly, weed is just seen now as a harmless drug and going and paying 50 euros or 100 euros to a dealer for some weed is just seen as commonplace now in Drogheda and there's no connection between passing that money to a dealer and the shootings that take place and in the And it was reported over the weekend that the shooting of the journalist Lear McKee, that that gang, those paramilitary, pseudo-paramilitary groups are also funded by criminal They've gangs from Dublin. I mean, so that's the, the same drug money. You had the INLA back in the 80s and 90s and the 70s uh, who were a dissident organisation and a breakout from the IRA at the time, you know, who were very much involved in drugs distribution. Um just going back to what Pierre says in this fantastic initiative that he's talking about, um, it was a community-led initiative, really, that got the drugs gangs out of out of Limerick. Now they didn't get them all, but they got the main players out of circulation in co- in cooperation with the uh, with with the local force, with the Gardaí and down there. But also, and I mean something that we've been talking about, and we're blue in the face now talking about it, is the you know the the. The way that the guards are supported by the Department of Justice and and uh, the, the the numbers of guards on the ground in Drogheda, it's 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 unacceptable really at the moment that uh, guards in Drogheda are not being supported in that regard. Um, 
i.e. manpower. If you take, uh, you know, just one statistic where you have uh, uh, the Sligo region, for example, they probably have twice the number of guards, somewhere near that. And why is Drogheda getting the short straw? Drogheda has actually twice the amount of crime. Why is Drogheda getting the short straw in terms of actual numbers? Well, this is something that we have been calling for. You know, I mean, I spoke to the Minister of Justice myself and I spoke to Antishak about this. And for a period of time over the Christmas, we we got a number of Gardaí who came out of Templemore. Unfortunately, they were distributed elsewhere. I think it's a matter of distribution and we have to look more and closely at... And is the distribution based on population, on numbers or crime levels? Because that really is the distinction, isn't well, it? Well, crime levels, of course, it has to be. But I mean, I don't think that Drogheda is getting its fair share. And I think that we that's, this is something that we really have to push for, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Because I speak to my ex-colleagues and, I, you know, they tell me about how overstretched they are in this town. And are crime statistics here significantly higher than elsewhere because we're on the well, border corridor? Outside of Dublin, outside of Dublin uh, and the major cities, we have the highest crime rate in the country. Uh, and that, that's a fact. So we are where Limerick was and, a number and, of years but back. The, but as you've said, Limerick the, the has cleaned up The problem that you have, Orla, is that what you have now is you have a situation where, because of the lack of manpower that we have in Drogheda, we have people who won't report crime. So our statistics aren't reflecting exactly what's happening. They won't report crime crime simply because the Gardaí are like an ambulance service. They're going to the scenes of crime. Uh, the, 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 they prioritise the, 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 most, uh, the most important crime scenes that they go to. But generally you'll find and you will hear from people that it could take two, three, four hours for people to, to, for Gardaí to call to a scene. That is because probably, you know, in essence, you probably have maybe two Gardaí working uh, in the town, uh, regular Gardaí on a patrol car. The rest are taken up because we just don't have the manpower. And this is, you know, this is something that really has to be addressed. And is that something you're hearing too, P.O. Smith, that people are just a bit disheartened and therefore they won't even report a crime because they think nothing will be done? Yeah, uh, people are disheartened. And I mean, this is, Richie's right. Look, we've, we've, we've spoken about this for, for the last 12 months in relation to getting more resources because basically if the guards aren't resourced properly, uh, they can't investigate crimes properly and protect people. People then feel disillusioned and then has a knock-on effect and then has it comes back negatively in, in, in relation to the guards. But I mean, in terms of how do we actually address these issues? I mean, some of the things we have to do is look at investing in the community. We have to invest in NGOs. And we have to really seriously look about our laws in relation to drugs gangs. I mean, there, there is a case, I think, to be made in Ireland at this point in time for a special powers act to be brought in in relation to uh, selective internment for people who are involved in uh, drug gang activity because this really is undermining the, the, the values of, of people and communities and the state itself. Well, and obviously that type of internment would be very emotive because of our history, but at the mm-hmm. same time, not to end on a negative note, what can we do? What can ordinary people listening to this today do to actively go out there and support the work you're trying to do with the initiative you've mentioned? What can people do well, to try and make a difference well, in num- the northeast? Number one, you know, they they first of all talk to your children uh, that's the first thing you do and you explain to them that this uh, this whole situation that has evolved in Drogheda over the last number of years where people are getting shot where houses are being petrobombed where we're finding pipe bombs and weapons and there are weapons in the society talk to the kids and explain to them the dangers of, of drugs um, and, and, and the consequences of using those drugs but also uh, and I say it every time I come on this program. The link with crime. You are you are the eyes and ears of Angarda Shikana. And unless we all take a stand as a community to out 
these this 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 absolute uh, curse on our on on our town uh, unless we all take responsibility uh, this this can only continue and a final word Pew Smith well, one of the programmes that we, we are going to run out with the local guards and the schools from September onwards uh, is a connection with the transition of your students. So we're going to do, have a project in Dundalk and Drogheda and we're going to ask students to actually uh, design posters in relation to uh, drug drug use, uh, linking it in with the, the violence and, and the criminality and giving a presentation at uh, uh, a selected venue, probably DKIT next March or April. And the idea of that is to is to bring that awareness that this isn't a harmless activity that you know this is the real it has consequences it has consequences alright Councillor Pew Smith thank you for joining us today and also Councillor Richie Colhan thank you indeed for joining us Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM now Meath Councillor Sharon Kyogan is calling for local TDs to represent the rural community and secure a 24 hour Garda station in the Meath North East area this area of East Meath is constantly growing and obviously there's a 24 hour Garda station in Ashburn but how can it be Expected to cover parts of Clanee, Maynooth, Dunboyne, Kilbride, Dilshocklin, Rathoth, and all the way down to Newgrange. And Sharon is joining us now on the line. Uh, good, uh, good morning, Sharon. You're describing this as madness, expecting Garthi uh, to cover an area as broad as that. Absolutely, and, and it is madness. Um, you know, statistically, um, Mead has the least number of Garthi per capita. Um, we have one Garda for 687 people. Um, we have 320 Garda in County Mead at the moment. But if you look at the like an area like Wexford, who's got the same land mass as County Mead with a 70,000 population, um, they have three more Garda than actually Mead have. They have one Garda per 465 people. Uh, there's, there's a lots of reports out there and there's lots of statistics to say that we are very much under-resourced here in this county as regards policing. Um, Euro, Euro, Eurostats reports that the state employ 278 Garda per 100,000 citizens. We have the smallest per capita police force in the EU. Um, Northern Ireland has 382 per 100,000. So, like, the figures speak for themselves. We are under-resourced as regards policing in this country, and it's, it is evident now more than ever from listening to your two speakers there that we definitely need more Garda and more specialist Garda in the area and they, they did talk about setting up a rural and cross-border task force and I think this has to be implemented immediately. Now obviously we're doing a lot of crime this morning it's the way the Easter weekend seems to have broken out for us here on LMFM this morning and as you say yes your your councillor colleagues were specifically talking about the, the, the violent instances in the last uh, few days in, in, in Drogheda and in Dundalk but obviously uh, Meath as well you're seeing a lot of crime I know there has been certain initiatives taken to kind of combat this and what you're seeing is the lack of Gardaí you, you impl- implemented a CCTV uh, camera arrangement in Dulik. Tell me how that works. Well, it's working very, very well. And, and, and indeed, I, I, I think that is definitely a tool that the Gardaí need to implement as well in all towns and small villages throughout the country. Clearly, they closed down a lot of the stations uh, back in 2014, 2015, 2016. They only started recruiting there in 2014. So the, the Gardaí the Garda force has been depleted as a result of the, the downturn in the economy. And uh, communities like ourselves literally had to take the, the bull by the horns and try and see how we can keep our people safe and, how, and what me- what methods we can put in place to allow the Gardaí to do their job more effectively. 
and help the Gardaí because clearly the numbers weren't coming out. And who funded this uh, district community CCTV? Who funded uh, it? We actually have a community fund here in Jalik uh, through the incinerator here. So we applied for the funding there and uh, we project managed the installation of the CCTV. The Garda are the data controller uh, of ours. So the station in Ashburn would actually have a 24-hour monitoring there in Ashburn and we also have it here in Jalik as well. And that covers the towns of Jalik and Dunore. Um, but, you know, that's not, that obviously doesn't help the people of the Laytown area, the Bettystown area, the Donnacarney, uh, Mornington area. It doesn't help the rural villages of our cat. Is or, it a very costly system? And are you going to have some kickback from the community saying to them, we can't provide Gardaí for you, so can you fundraise, please, to provide your own CCTV system in order to provide that security? Well, there is, there is actually funding there at this moment. But the, the problem is... Um, it's the, it's the data management that is actually the problem. There's funding there at this moment in time from the Department of uh, Justice. They give a 60% grant, uh, up to 40,000, um, to communities to install CCTV. However, many of the chief executives in the country, not just in, in Mead, do not want to, to have the role of being the data controller in relation to uh, monitoring the CCTVs or maintaining the CCTVs. Well, obviously, in the case it's a in, cumbersome role. But in your instance, you actually got the cooperation of the Gardaí and you're saying that they're actually monitoring for you. Absolutely, so yes. would that be the case in other communities? Well, that, that is, a, I mean, under, under Section 38C, the, you can apply to the Gardaí uh, to have your community monitor, um, but you must apply fund the entire CCTV yourself or find a way to it yourself. But it's not just funding the Pacific system, but there's also a maintenance cost on a yearly basis to put CCTV in, into, in, in, into communities. Um, now, obviously, the CCTV is a, a, an assistance to you, but it's not yep. a replacement for Garda. It's no, not a replacement absolutely. for Garda Presence. I know the Garda station there in uh, Dulik, uh, your area is monitored or is manned on a part-time basis. So is the one in Laytown. And, yes, and absolutely. Both, both will you see any restoration of a, ser- a full-time service in those hubs, do you think? Well, I, I absolutely believe that there should be because, I, you know, more and more, you can see the areas of Dunboyne, Dunshotland, uh, Rathout, Ashburn growing. And having the 24-hour station dedicated for those areas there uh, is important. However, we also need 24-hour guard station over here on the on the coast. Now, whether that be in Juliestown, Laytown, Bettystown, Mornington, or even here in Dalik, but definitely the need is there, the population is there. And I think this part of the country should be treated with regard to guard the numbers as in North County Dublin should be. Uh, because definitely, this is crime is moving out towards towards our area. You can c- clearly see what's happening there. Rural and cross-border uh, crime is very prevalent at this moment in time. Crime involving equipment and livestock, farm equipment and livestock. Um, you know, even tourism crime. There's, you know, this is why I believe the Rural and Cross-Border Task Force needs to be set up and set up immediately. Um, but we could also, things that we could do to help the Gardaí is all the Gardaí cars need to be fitted with... Um, ANPR, so that that if the Gardaí are out and about, that they, they can actually check the registration straight in front of them. Not, not all the vehicles at this moment in time are able to do that, but some of them are. And also we could, uh, we could look at maybe um, putting in body cameras, um, body-worn cameras uh, for our Gardaí. Guard the forces as well, and these were these were um, the Zorochter's uh, Justice Committee report, and they these were some of the uh, measures that they recommended 
uh, to be put in place. Finally then, Sharon, you have mentioned Gardaí are recruiting again. Do you think you will actually see any increase in numbers for me? And what will you be doing to actually try and claim some of those extra numbers? Well, look, it's all about lobbying and particularly for our particular area of the Ashburn area. I mean, we have um, possibly the largest the largest uh, population in the county for for the Ashburn region. Um, yet we only have a third of the Gardaí in, in this in this uh, county. Um, of course, we'll be, we will be uh, lobbying both the Minister for Justice and also our chief super here in Mead. Because, um, you know, you've got to be at the table. You've got to be shouting for the numbers. Uh, to uh, off Gardaí to come to our area. But All right, at this Councillor. moment in time, we don't have enough Gardaí in this county to deal with All the right. level of crime that's coming in. We have to leave it there, Councillor Sharon Keoghan. No Thank problem. you for joining us today. And we've just had a note in that Gardaí recruiting is underway again at the moment with the deadline for applications 12 noon tomorrow, Wednesday, for anyone between the ages of 18 and 35 who might be interested in a career in the forces. We leave it there. Orla Comedy on LMFM. Still to come on the programme, local representatives being abused in public places and the latest from the teachers' conferences going on in Galway at the moment. And we will be speaking to uh, a, a representative from the teachers' conference shortly on the big issue, which of course is teachers' pay. But in the meantime, our reporter, Ross Lee, he went out and about on the streets of Drogheda to ask the question, do you think teachers get paid enough? And if not, should they go and strike? Yeah, they should strike because... My son's a teacher and I know the stress. I don't know if striking is the answer, but I suppose it is a good job being a teacher, but I, I don't think I'd... No money you'd pay you to, to go through some, what some of them have to put up with, you know? It's not the easiest job in the world. Yeah, I just finished the leaving and I was kind of in the middle of it, so I kind of feel they deserve more for what they do for students. The work to do is beyond payment, really. Uh, the amount of time they give over and above their regular working hours is... Uh, I find always extraordinarily generous. They're an amazing group of people. So yeah, I, 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 I think they couldn't possibly be paid enough for what they do. I'd love to be a te- teacher, to be honest with you. I think they get a lot of holidays, that's my opinion. I don't really know the wages with them, but I've heard now that they are quite underpaid, so I'd say, yeah, if they are underpaid, then yeah, fair wax them if they want to strike, so... No, I don't think so. I think they are, they are well paid, um, yeah. The people that are here, it's just the nurses, but the teachers, I don't think they're less paid. I think they are getting paid enough. Uh, for the job they do, yeah, I don't believe they are paid enough. Like, on the teachers, I'll take it onto like a personal level. I believe they don't get paid enough because I have respect for what they do. A lot of teachers work after hours as well for free, which I have a lot of respect for as well. So I do believe, yeah, that they're underpaid for what they do. Well, I don't know what they're paid, but um, I think dealing with 30 or kids or so every day must be mind-boggling I mean I couldn't do it but I presume the ones starting off are probably not paid enough but they get good holidays that's the bonus I suppose definitely not strike mm-hmm. definitely not I think they have a very good job mm-hmm. good pension mm-hmm. won't be sacked who would want a job like that I'd love it um, I, well I hope it wouldn't come to going on strike mm-hmm. but I'd agree 100% with the teachers um, it's like anything else they're probably an easy target with getting holidays and things like that people think they have it tough but um, or have it easy excuse me but um, yeah I'd advise anyone that thinks that like that they should walk a mile in their shoes and see what it's like then you know Mixed views there from the streets of Drogheda on uh, 
teachers and their pay levels but a lot of appreciation there too I think coming through for the hard work we all know they do. Now some of our comments and texts a bit earlier than usual we're joined now by producer Marie Kearns. What are people saying to us Marie? Good morning Orla and good morning to everybody listening in. Yes plenty of reaction already this morning and I suppose crime really is what people are talking about following the interview at the top of the programme with local councillors P.O. Smith and Richie Culhan. Jim from Drogheda says Orla That wasteland where the gun and pipe bombs were found is located in an area that is used by children frequently. Children not only use it as a shortcut, but many of them actually play around there or hang around there. And what could have happened if those devices had have got into the wrong hands? It's absolutely disgraceful, says Jim. Grania, also from Drogheda, feels that crime has got out of control. She says that almost every second day... There seems to be shots fired at houses in some parts of the town. Now we had it in Dundalk in recent days and all it takes is for a bullet to end up straying in the wrong direction and someone could be killed as we saw in Derry, says Grania, where that innocent journalist was shot. Uh, Tom says that there are CCTV cameras in places but some aren't working and wonders why is this? Is that not a waste of money? Uh, Thomas from Dundalk got in touch on the same topic and Thomas just points out that it seems that the criminals uh, have easy access to firearms and does it not maybe increase the argument for the Gardaí themselves to be armed uh, so there can be a level playing field? says Thomas. A lot of concern there, isn't there? Like there is. all of this crime that seems to be simmering in the background. Yes. We haven't touched on Kells yet and we're going to talk about that next. That's right. We haven't touched on the north of Ireland yet. And even going back to a, a few weeks back, the retail park and, and when the shots were fired there, there's just so much going on and people are clearly very, very concerned. Oh, people are hugely concerned. We also had um, a call from a listener, didn't want to give her name, but says that she feels that it's a very worrying time to be living, particularly in Drogheda, when you know that this drug feud is, as you say, said, um, Orla, is simmering there in the background all the time and not knowing what to, to expect. And the point she's making is that the, the gun and the pipe bombs that were found, where were they intended to be used and that's that's the question. If they hadn't that's, have been that's found, that's the question I put to to Councillor Colhan there. I was asking him, do we know where where they dug up, where they concealed, where they found, or where they dumped in panic? Did somebody think their house or their garage was going to be searched, and did they dump them on what is perceived to be waste ground? But obviously, as yes. you say, children walk through there every day, and this yes. is well known. Yes. So if it was more malicious than being dumped, even if it was actually deliberately concealed there, that's that's very sinister. Really. Yes. Yes. Um, Margaret then was listening to your interview with Councillor Sharon Keoghan and Margaret says that East Meath is a hugely growing area that there is a big population there and that she feels that there should be extra guard resources in the area. So that's her thoughts on what's happening in East Meath in relation to crime. So a lot of concern there from people and um, 
is that our comments for the moment? We'll for the moment, more, we'll yeah, finish obviously. there. And if I get a chance, I'll come back in later. Very good. Do indeed, because I know people have a lot to say about this and we always want to hear their views on uh, the Michael Reed Show here on LMFM. Now, uh, where are we going to next? Yes, indeed, we're going to Kells. As you know, that CCTV footage of the ATM robbery in Kells has shown that the Raiders were in, out and gone in under four minutes in the early hours of Good Friday morning. That's black and white CCTV footage that has emerged. And as we know, two machines were ripped from the walls of the two banks on John Street in the early hours. A digger and a tractor and trailer were used in the robbery and those were stolen just beforehand from separate areas in Meath and Louth. And we're joined now uh, on the programme by Stephen Breen, who's the crime editor with The Irish Sun. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Arla. Now, it's just extraordinary that people can, you know, drive into the middle of a town. I, I think the Guardi described it as quite sophisticated because of the level of the equipment they had, the speed at which they got in and out. What, what's, what are you hearing? What's the latest on it now? Well, this is clearly a well-organised and well-planned uh, criminal enterprise. That is it's number 15. So we've had uh, 15 uh, ATM thefts in recent months on both sides of the border. But I think it does clearly indicate that the people who are behind this are, are well-organised. I, I think it also shows that they're well-steeped in organised crime. Um, this isn't something that's planned just in a few guys having the drinks in the bar and it's opportunist. You know, clearly they, they know how to use the machine to commit this crime. The fact that they're in and out of, of for example, Kells last week within four minutes and they escaped. I mean, the Gardaí did swamp the border area uh, over uh, Thursday and Friday night and they were anticipating um, some kind of incident to, to take place but it's impossible for them to be everywhere at the one time and they did respond to the incident in Kells within five minutes but, but the guy still got away. So it is causing a major security concern for the Gardaí and also uh, and the PSNI and the question is now who is behind it and when are they going to be caught? It's 15 uh, ATMs in the last uh, couple of weeks or months uh, north and south of the border and similar sort of modus operandi in each instance. It's large heavy equipment mm-hmm. and obviously this equipment is is robbed in, in the hours beforehand. Um, so why are we seeing this suddenly happening now do you think? Well, this happened in 2011. There were 12 incidents in 2011, and we haven't seen any uh, since then. And in 2011, there was a guy based in Fermanagh and uh, South Tyrone, and, and, and also sorry, in Monaghan as well. And this guy were committing uh, similar uh, incidents that we're seeing today, and it's the same modus operandi that we're seeing today. So, but, 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 People are looking at it's a method of organised crime where it's a way to make money. It's, it's a cash-making exercise. But there is a train of thought and a school of thought out there um, that perhaps those who support dissident Republicans uh, may be uh, behind this, even though the PSNI have said that they don't believe dissidents or lawless are involved. But on, on this side of the border, you know, you, there, there is a, a train of thought that because of the, the increasing tensions, you know, especially within dissident Republican activity, you know, could this be uh, an exercise size for them to, to, to make cash to buy guns. There's no definite proof that's the case but it, it's definitely organised and going back to 2011 when there was a guy operating, they were doing it purely for financial gain. So the PSNI and the Gardaí, who have established a task force uh, to address this issue, will have to look at all avenues here to try and establish, you know, what is the motivation behind this, and they can't rule anything out. But and when they talk about the sophistication, that would mm-hmm. seem to indicate something more organised than randomers, as as you've described it. And it's suggested that up to two hundred thousand euro was taken in Kells alone mm-hmm. because the money was stocked up for the 
the weekend. I mean, that is significant. It's not it's not small beer by any by any means. Is there any talk of having the uh, banknotes marked in some way so that they can be traced? Or is there any other security measures that can be put in place to prevent this happening other than bollards in front of the ATMs? You think that was mentioned before, certainly in, in 2011 when there was a series of, of raids, but, but nothing ever came of that there. So I think it's, it, it'd be up to the Gardaí, the, the PSNI and the banking sector you know, to come together and to, to try and, and address this issue and try to curb ways rather than just putting bollards outside MATM machines and how, how do they address this problem. But what, like a lot of money has been stolen already and even last week in Kells, as you said, there are over 200 grand in each ATM machine. So the question now is, where is that money? Where, where is it going? Is it going to be laundered back through legitimate companies or legitimate means and back into society? So they need to take some kind of approach. And I know it is a matter of priority for the Garda Commissioner and also for, for the PSNI to try and, and, number one, stop uh, these activities from happening again, but also to try and bring those behind them to justice. But I don't think we're looking at just one guy in here. You, you had security sources saying that there may be a guy operating in Fermanagh. There may be a second guy in County Antrim because some of the incidents there, for example, Bush Mills, wouldn't normally be those associated with Republican activity. And then number three, um, an organised gang based in South Armagh. And, you know, there wasn't much intelligence from the Guardi or the PSNI and it might suggest that some of those involved have family ties. Some of those are, the, the people behind this are, have a close cell and they're keeping their information very tight. So when the incident does happen, there's no intelligence to suggest who's behind it and, and these people can be apprehended. All right, Stephen Breen, Crime Editor with the Irish Sun. No doubt you'll be reporting on that again and we'll be keeping an eye on it. In the meantime, um, we have, it was reported over the weekend that a number of uh, shops in the northeast area have actually removed their ATMs from the front, uh, uh, unfortunately, for, for customer usage. But, ju- but just while things are a bit uncertain, that's what they're doing. And also, in light of the ATM robberies, Garthy are appealing to anyone who owns or uses heavy plant machinery to take every possible step to secure and immobilise the vehicle so that if you have any of those kind of vehicles please lock them up in your yards well at night in order that they won't be stolen. We'll take a break. Orla Comedy on LMFM now, the shock following the shooting of journalist Lyra McKee in Derry goes on. Questions are being asked. Is this a return to the bad old days? Is the peace process in a more endangered position than ever? The PSNI superintendent in charge of the investigation has described a community united in condemnation. But at the same time, we saw paramilitary style marches taking place in Dublin, which the Independent says is trampling on every decent value we hold. And joining us now is Kevin Doyle, the group, group political editor with INM. Good morning, Kevin. Morning, Orla. Now, obviously, the shock goes on and the papers are again responding today. What is the latest on it? Well, I suppose two things have happened just this morning. One is that the new so, so-called new IRA have released a statement to the Irish news uh, newspaper in which they, they claim responsibility uh, for the killing of Laura McKee. And uh, the, the statement is, is quite extraordinary for, for two reasons. One, I suppose, is that they offer uh, full and sincere apologies to her partner, her family and her friends, which um, seems a bit empty at this stage. But the other line that jumps off the, the, the screen to me, Orla, is that they say they inst- they've instructed their volunteers to take the utmost care in future Um so while they might be sorry, there's no uh, in sense that they're going to down arms 
uh, or, or step back from this sort of violence that we saw in Derry um, over the last uh, over last week. Um, and the second thing that this morning is the arrest of a 57-year-old woman by the PSNI in connection with this, not believed to be uh, the, the person who had the gun that night, but arrested under terrorism legislation nonetheless. Now, we know two teenagers had been arrested and released again without charge. So this new arrest, um, there will be 24 or 48 hours before we know whether there's any going to be any further progress. Yeah, I gather that the, the PSNI investigation will probably take some time. It, it's been well known that there has been, I suppose, a code of omerta or a wall of silence in the past in situations like this. But it does appear that the PSNI are getting more cooperation from the community uh, than they would have in previous events. So hopefully that will uh, continue over the, the coming days and there will be a, break, a breakthrough. Yes, I mentioned that that the uh, we heard it said by the PNSI superintendent that it, the community was united in condemnation and that is unusual that you have uh, condemnation coming from all sides for an action of this sort. It is and I mean it, it, it's, it's, some of the images coming out in Northern Ireland are, are extraordinary and for us perhaps south of the border it's, it's probably hard to fully understand um, but we have that image of the political leaders coming together um, and we have the, the images of people putting red hands on the wall of this uh, group, Sarah. Um, and it, it, it does look like uh, perhaps something is turning, but as often happens in these things, you would wonder, will it be a moment in time um, and will it go back uh, to, to the way it was before once the, I suppose, the media attention dies down and the, and the political um, sense of awareness dies down and worryingly, and perhaps the reason the political sense, whatever, but anything else can't die down, is that statement from the new IRA this morning, because uh, it repeatedly talks about being uh, fighting enemy forces. Uh, they claim that on last Thursday night there was an incursion into Craigan by heavily armed British Crown forces, which provoked rioting. Uh, and the IRA deployed our volunteers to engage. So and that's the kind language. of language yeah, we didn't think we'd, we'd hear again. No, I think, I think everybody thought we were gone past that. Um, and then you move on from that and you see these uh, paramilitary-style parades uh, down O'Connell Street in Dublin and uh, it seems Gardaí powerless to stop them. It is really an extraordinary uh, couple of days on this island uh, for something that we really, really thought we wouldn't see again. We'll come to the parades in Dublin in a moment. The new IRA and Sarah, a lot of people wouldn't have heard of those organisations till this weekend. Where have they come from? Where have they emerged from? Have they been simmering away there in the background? Well, yeah, the new IRA have been around for for a a while now. They are a dissident Republican group. Um, They they are effectively the coming together of of people who are refusing to give up what they see as the struggle for, for Irish independence, that they see it as an unfinished revolution. Um, but they've been around since around 2011-2012. Gardaí and the PSNI have been well aware of their activities. They have monitored them. They, they would be strongest in that kind of dairy area, but also in, in north and west Belfast, there would be pockets in Tyrone and Armagh as well. So there is, um, there, there is a small band of them, if you like, and they have been linked to events in the past. I suppose most recently, uh, they were linked by Gardaí and the Met Police in, in London to those parcel bombs, uh, what were called the love bombs, if you remember, that were sent to various transport hubs uh, in the UK. But they've also been linked to the deaths of, of prison officer uh, David Black, who was shot uh, dead in, uh, outside McGarbury Prison in, in 2012 uh, and a couple of other incidents like that. And have they well. any link to Sarah or is that a separate group again? 
So Sarah are viewed as the political wing of the new IRA, and I think some some of Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. They would deny that in, in, in formal terms, but I think some of the statements uh, that we have seen over the last few days from that Sarah group um, show they are very sympathetic uh, to the actions of the new IRA and, and uh, Gardy would believe that really the links there are very, very clear. Now, you mentioned the red hands. That was friends of Lyra McKee dipping their hands in paint, assembling at a Junior McDade House in Derry, which is the HQ of these dissident groups, and placing their hands on the walls and on posters outside. That took a lot of courage, really, didn't it? It did, particularly because there was people standing there uh, associated with that group uh, watching this go on. And, and, and while there was no confrontation as such, uh, apart from, I suppose, some verbals, um, it, it, was, it was perhaps the image that, that we should be seeing from Northern Ireland, the defiance of the local people, the coming together of the local people. And I think what was particularly interesting was that many of those that we see, and I, wasn't, I have to admit I wasn't there myself to, to witness it, but the images we've seen of that particular uh, protest, it was largely women uh, leading it. And sometimes uh, history has shown us that it takes strong women to stand up to what are tough men, in inverted commas, Indeed, uh, bring change. Uh, the, the memories of the, the dairy women banging the bins and, and, and their own sort of form of protest are, are very strong in, in many places. On to the marches then, as you say, very strange events uh, on the island of Ireland uh, this weekend, the paramilitary marches. Now, when the march occurred on Easter Saturday, initially there was, how could this possibly be happening on the streets of a republic? And then it seemed to emerge that actually new emergency laws would be needed to deal with this because it could impact on public rights of assembly and so on. What's your understanding of that? Yeah, we have a, a kind of a legal quagmire on this one, Orla, because obviously, well, I, I won't say nobody, because there obviously is that small few people who think it's okay to march down O'Connell Street in military garb and wear sunglasses and scarves up around to cover your face. Um, but I, I think it's safe to say that the vast, vast, vast majority of people couldn't believe what they were seeing uh, emerge on Saturday evening. Um, but it seems the guards were powerless and the guards made a call on it, which was that were they to intervene, it would likely spark something um, far more dramatic uh, than what was actually taking place. And for that reason, they, they stood back, they watched, they were there. There's no doubt about the, that they were there and they knew about it. Uh, but there is no law under which these people have to apply for a permit uh, or a license to march down O'Connell Street. Um, so traffic was stopped. Uh, they, they did their rally outside the GPO, uh, where we would have seen uh, uh, on Sunday the national, the state celebration or commemoration, as it's called, uh, of the 1916 Rising. But they were able to have their own mock uh, commemoration, except two very different messages from them. The, the one on Saturday was obviously, it's unfinished, whereas the one on Sunday uh, was a memory, I suppose, of, of the 1916 Rising, but very much a, a sombre event rather than a, a celebration of what's to come. It seems extraordinary, as you say, that uh, pseudo soldiers wearing uniforms and what have you can march on our main street 
unimpeded. Um, I think the there's a, a section in the Defence Act of 1987 that uh, prevents groups wearing uniforms that imitate Gardaí or Defence Forces. But then again, that is probably um, superseded by the constitutional right to public assembly. And that's probably the call, as you say, that the Gardaí made. Back to the north, um, 140 people reportedly have contacted the PSNI with information regarding the riots there and the shooting of Lyra McKee. Again, is that unusual? Is that a higher number than normal, would you imagine? I, I couldn't say for definite, but it would certainly seem that way. And from the, 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 the words coming out from the PSNI, it would certainly seem uh, that the community are more engaged. And it'll be interesting. I mean, there, there, there's an event in Dublin this evening, actually, that the NUJ have in memory of Laura McKee. But the funeral tomorrow, I think you will see um, a very, very strong cross-community presence at it. The Taunish to Simon Coveney will be there on behalf of the Irish government. Um, but I would be uh, expecting that you will see members of the unionist uh, political leadership there, the unionist community, alongside uh, those on the nationalist side. Um, and there will be a coming together. And I suppose that is the only way now is we have to move back towards Stormont. There has to be some uh, level of, of, of talks in Stormont because one of the things which struck me actually, Orlan, maybe it's, it's worth referencing, but in, in some of her writings, Laura McKee talked about this phenomenon known as intergenerational tra- transmission of trauma. And she had done a lot of yes. research around suicide uh, among the Good Friday generation. But there was a recent report out um, by two UNESCO com- committee chairs, which was based around Brexit, but it looked at the same phenomenon, but from a different point of view, which was that many of the young people, and, and it does seem to have been a lot of young people involved in what happened last Thursday, don't remember the horrors of, of this. Um, and for that reason, they, they don't fully understand what they're engaging in. And, and I think that's where the political vacuum has to fill that, that gap. All right, Kevin Doyle, we leave it there. Group political editor with the Independent News and Media. Thank you so much for joining you, joining us here today. And as you said, uh, Lyra McKee's funeral takes place on Wednesday in Belfast. And very poignantly, her partner, Sarah Canning, appealed for people to wear Harry Potter clothing because that would make uh, Lyra happy. And that's so poignant indeed. And I have to say that I met Lyra myself uh, a number of years back, very briefly at a conference in Newry. We shared a quick cup of coffee and she was a a lovely, bubbly, curious, interested young woman. And uh, may she rest in peace. Orla Comedy on LMFM. Now, Government Ministers Paul Keogh and Regina Doherty are just two of the latest public representatives to have been targeted in a personalised protest outside their homes. There have been a number of instances lately where it could be argued that the public have blurred the divide between a representative's public and private life. It's an issue that has affected Caroline Lynch, Sinn Féin councillor in Trim. And Caroline, you contacted us with some of your own experiences on this. Thanks for joining us this morning. What happened to you? Yes, good morning, Orla, and thank you for having me on this morning. I mean, very basically, the the two situations, and I don't really want to go into huge details about the specifics of the situations, Orla, is that uh, two members of the public basically uh, called to the area that I live, um, very aggressive in their in their dealings, and, you know, it was about views that they had on particular things, but... My feeling was that they crossed the line in terms of calling to my local church and to my family home. And, you know, they called to my family home one person. There were two separate incidents uh, when my daughter was home um, and I wasn't actually there. Um, and I just feel, you know, public representatives absolutely are, 
you know, available to the public. But I think there has to be kind of boundaries around it. And I think really calling to someone's family home unannounced and being aggressive towards either the, the representative or family members, it's just not acceptable. And um, the reason I'm sort of going public with it is that, you know, it's an experience that lots of county councillors have had, but people are often unwilling to come forward and talk about it because they feel that the public would see it as a sign of weakness of the person. I said, you know, what are they moaning about? That's their job. And I absolutely, from people that know me, they'll know that I'm absolutely happy to take representation from people any time on the phone, day or night. You know, I'm not a nine-to-five person that won't answer a call late or whatever. But the difficulty is that your family home is private. You know, it's not a constituency office. Now, I don't think anyone would argue with that, Caroline, yeah. but I think yeah. there is a sort of a sense that there's a great tradition of representation in Ireland and mm. it would be quite, it would have been quite usual in the past for people to approach councillors in a public place and say, can I have a word? I have an issue with this or that. Yeah. People wouldn't necessarily have waited to, for your clinic to do that. No, no, but no, what absolutely. has changed with that kind of approach, may I have a word? What, what has changed in the way the approach what, is made to what, well, what I was, what has changed is that it wasn't. Uh, it was in my family home when I wasn't home, and the person still pursued wanting to see me quite aggressively. And in the other situation, the person approached me in a church, and it was the aggressive manner of the. Did they use? The did they use? Used my name? Did they so use they bad knew, language? Were they hostile? What what form did the aggression hostile. take? They, they were hostile. They were they were hostile. And when I said that I I, I wasn't able to help them in both cases because I couldn't actually help either of the people, um, they were they were very aggressive. And you and know, by that do you mean raised voices? Do you mean anger? I, yeah, yeah, anger and raised voices and quite threatening. And you know, for me to ring the Gardaí and report the issues meant that I felt it was serious enough to make those reports to and the local Gardaí. And did you feel it was somebody in those instances, people who were under distress and that was making them angry or making them more vocal than they might have been normally? One, or do you yeah, feel one, there were people who targeted you very specifically? They, they Firstly, they both targeted me specifically, but one was very distressed and I would I would say not well. And the second person had a very, very extreme view which they felt that I was opposite in and they didn't like that view and wanted to express their concern about my view and my behaviour. So they were two very different incidents. One was, you know, a very extreme view on something and the other one was somebody that was, in my view, unwell. So they were very different, but equally, you know, upsetting for my family members. Were you worried for your daughter's safety when you heard about this incident? I was, yeah. I had to get somebody to go to the house to be with her till I got home. I was in uh, on my way home on the motorway from Dundalk and I had to get someone to get there quickly. And five or six of my neighbours were outside my family home when I arrived to make sure that the person didn't go back to my, my daughter at, at the front door. So, yes, I was very concerned for her safety. And would you be accustomed to seeing clients or seeing uh, your voters, your constituents at home? Or would that be very unusual for you? No, that would be unusual. Um, uh, I I would meet people uh, locally in in the local area that I'm uh, representing in Trim. 
either in, I know up to quite recently, I was using Pada Tabeen's office um, as as a constituency clinic. So uh, since obviously Pada left the party, I'm I'm not able to use his office anymore. So now I meet people in the town by arrangements and we meet either in, in, a, in a local hotel or I meet people by invitation in their family home. So, you know, I meet people all the time and I don't want to change that in any way or I'm absolutely, you know, that's part of my job as an elected representative. It's just that I think my point is that when elected representatives are treated in a way that a member of the public wouldn't accept being treated, then they have the same right to report that behaviour to the Gardaí in exactly the same way as any other citizen. And that's really all my point is that if if there isn't a record made of these incidents, then then you're being treated differently. To well, you make people. the point well, Councillor Caroline Lynch. I'm sorry that that happened to you and hopefully uh, you won't see too much of it in the future. But as you no. say, there's a line being crossed. But thank you for joining us today and bringing us to our attention. Uh, Sinn Féin Councillor Caroline Lynch there about public representatives uh, being approached in a less than uh, savoury manner in public. Now, good news on the horizon for teachers this morning with the hope that the two-tier pay structure brought out a number of years ago following the collapse in public finances may finally come to an end. New entrant teachers received lower pay than their more established colleagues, something that has obviously rankled for quite a number of years, with young teachers saying that they have lost quite a substantial sum in pay in the intervening time. Joining us now from the INTO conference in Galway is Catherine Flanagan of the Central Executive Committee. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Orla. I'm sure it's very, very busy there at the conference. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes out to join us. What do you think has created this kind of give in the situation that's given you a little bit of hope, probably for the first time in a good number of years? Well, I'd say the, the tenacity of the INTO in pursuing this issue over the last nine years has uh, led to today's or yesterday's announcement of this improvement in the system. Um, and there are still further talks to take place, but the, um, the wording that's in place seems to indicate that there is a pathway now uh, towards uh, the, the ending of this inequality within the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Now, I know there was some restoration or at least some uh, narrowing of the gap, but I actually saw something on social media posted by a young teacher there over the weekend and she had qualified in 2012 and she had done an extra year due to taking a master's, which she had done for all the right reasons to contribute all that extra learning to her her pupils. But because she did that, she went in after the the, the deadline as such. And she estimated that she would have lost 30,000 euro in the intervening time. Is that correct? Is that about what it those is? Those figures are correct. Um, 30,000 would be the average loss for those teachers at, uh, over those number of years. Um, and uh, when they came in initially, uh, all qualification allowances were removed. And then um, prior to that, they, where all um, state employees had gone down to point one of their salary scales, where numbers of, uh, numbers of them would have started at higher points on the scale. Uh, for teachers, um, the the powers that be introduced a point below point one. So, in fact, for everybody else received parity in the negotiations that ended last September, teachers were still one point behind. And 
um, th- those negotiations did allow for skips in uh, in the in the salary scale for well, thirty thousand pounds is a lot of money. It's the price it of a wedding a of money, or the yes. price of a deposit it's on a house exactly, or whatever yes. a young person might do. But that yes, has that been be. restored to some extent. It's estimated now maybe at about mm-hmm. no, that's twenty thousand is lost. That thirty thousand is lost and will remain lost for those. That, but uh, as you're aware, all public servants over the lifetime of the family legislation would have lost similar amounts of money, but it was probably more pronounced for those coming in as new entrants to the profession because their salaries went down below 30,000. Their starting salary was well down and um, therefore it was a big uh, blow for all of those. Was it very difficult for teachers, um, I I mean in terms of morale, if you're working there and sitting in a staff room doing the exact same job as somebody sitting beside you earning a different level of pay? Absolutely. That was one of the big issues that we would have heard at at branch meetings that teachers were... um, very concerned about the fact that uh, even if it wasn't a younger teacher at the meeting, their colleagues who were uh, on the previous salary scales would have been uh, talking about and complaining about the fact that their colleague was there doing the same work as them and not getting paid the same um, amount of money. So it was always an issue uh, about fairness and um, young teachers were coming out and voicing that very well themselves too and supported all of the various initiatives that INTO did introduce over the years to try and address that. What uh, what timing now is going to be put on this? When do you actually think you will see parity achieved on the payslip as such? Well, uh, the negotiations that, well, the, the consultation that we took place among members, uh, which concluded uh, end of January, would have uh, hoped for a, a conclusion to this to have taken place by the end, by the start of the next round of pay talks for the next uh, scheme to follow on from the Public Service Stability Act, and um, but the new wording that was announced by the, the minister yesterday actually allows for uh, an interim uh, conversation around um, pay that that can take place at that time or there. That could be earlier, but the. the the furthest point out will be for the new pay, new pay deal coming in in 2021. So uh, the wheels the, the wheels are turning, but it's on the way. It's not happening very quickly, but the, but the wheels no. are turning, and, and you're confident that it will now happen. Yes, and uh, hopefully it will deliver for all our younger members that are suffering under this. Finally, then, Catherine Flanagan, any other major item due to come up on your agenda for the rest of your meeting there in Galway well, of the yeah, INTO? We, have, we, we do have lots of issues that are um, warning for us. Uh, we have uh, concerns about small schools. We have concerns about um, the teacher supply, the fact that there aren't qualified subs to cover classrooms on a daily basis for short-term absences. You can get a sub okay for... Um, if, the, if you have a job that's available for a year and mostly for maternity leaves but occasionally if maternity leave is, is commencing in January it's difficult to find a sub to cover that maternity leave for the rest of the year uh, that's one with um, release days for principals and the, and the workload of teachers So you, you have a busy agenda ahead of you well I better let you get back to your work there Catherine Flanagan of the INTO thank you so much for joining us from Galway Orla Comedy on LMFM now, farmers are being very unfairly targeted in the climate shaming debate. According to the first Vice President of the European Parliament, local MEP Mairead McGuinness, has strongly criticised Antashka's recent resource pack on climate action, which encourages secondary school children to promote meat-free Mondays. She says it's not right to point the finger at farmers. And she's in studio with us now. Uh, good morning, Mairead, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Orla. I suppose when, when this issue came up first, um, it, it, you know, it, it struck me 
me that the more we target individual groupings, where it's the transport, the construction, or agriculture sector, the less progress we make on climate change, because we all know there are lots of things we have to do. And in fact, to really address it, we have to make fundamental changes in the way we live, how we consume, how we travel, how we build. And I have this report in front of me of the uh, cross-party um, consensus for action on climate change, which came out of uh, an Oireachtas committee. And I think it's well worth people reading the detail of that. Um, Just before you go into that, Mary, climate shaming, it used to be climate change. How has it become climate shaming? Because I think as a society, there is I think increasingly um, a trend towards finger pointing at particular groups as being the source of a problem, whatever the problem Blaming. is, rather than saying, actually, you know, agriculture has an emissions issue, our transport sector. I, f- I take flights. That surely is a problem for the climate. I drive a car that may not be as efficient as it should be. So I think instead of trying to um, put people against each other or groups against each other, we have to wake up and be wise to the reality that we're all responsible for what is happening to our climate. We had a very young um, woman address us in the Environment Committee last week in Strasbourg uh, from Sweden, um, Greta Thunberg, whom all of our young people know because she's led this debate. And she was very coherent in her message, which was that this is the biggest issue facing the world ever, facing politics ever, and she wanted us to act in unison rather than the way we are currently dealing with it. And sometimes the enormity of the change is what scares all of us. And if you come back to the agriculture sector, um, I would have made those remarks in the context that our beef farmers at the moment are under huge pressure. Prices are very poor. Demand in the UK has dropped significantly. And it may well be arising from all of these discussions around diet and, and, and climate. You're saying climate is the biggest thing. And obviously, when you see 15 year olds out marching, definitely there's something yeah. going on. But as you say, back to the farmers, mm. you know, and specifically this issue of meat free Mondays, which is a kind of a cut down and reduce on your meat message. Mm. How different is that to the fasting Fridays exactly. we used to do anyway in Ireland? Yeah, I Why is this such a threat to I, farmers? I think that um, we had. Uh, Paul McCartney, the singer in the Parliament, many years ago, and he was advocating Meat Free Monday. And I just made the point that for a lot of people, the leftovers meat of Sunday is usually what you have on Monday. Totally. But I think the, the the general comment about diet and health, you know, we have to look at our diet. So some people may well be consuming far too much of one product or another. And um, my my remarks are made in the context that if you put a sector under pressure, you will just upset them rather than get them to change. There's already a lot of things happening in agriculture around fertilizer use around being aware of biodiversity issues and use of agrochemicals, also leaving space for nature. There's a huge amount of research going on into how we can reduce the emissions from our cattle, from our livestock. And that's been going on not just recently, but for decades. Even the use of seaweed is now being mentioned as a possible help in that regard. So it's to try and balance this debate that we don't alienate different groups wherever they are and get them to work collectively so that we can all make progress. Was this meat feed? Monday thing that came out was that just very much the uh, the last straw for farmers when you think of all of the le- the regulations all of the legislation as you say all the origin green all of the tracing mm. they have to do was that was well, that you an see, issue I, for I them? mean if you take red meat for example um, I apologise about that phone <laughs> it's not we'll, my phone no, because mine, mine is on either. we'll find <laughs> out who's ringing us in a moment and we'll get it sorted um, but, <laughs> but on, on the very serious point I think not, not every family eats meat every day and nor would I advocate that one 
one does. But I think sometimes the context in which comments are made just upset people who are under pressure anyway. And I talk a lot to bee farmers right across the constituency of Midlands Northwest. And there is a feeling amongst that sector that they are under pressure economically, but they're also now under pressure societally. So from a social point of view, and in fact, they are part of a solution to this rather than part of the problem. We're all part of the problem. So it's to try and get a more balanced uh, discussion around climate. I mean, I spoke to some young people who were getting awards. They were involved in the European Parliament's Ambassador School Programme. And I made the comment that afterwards a lot of people came up to me and said, gosh, that's quite profound. Because I do believe that if we are to take on board this, the message in this report from the Oireachtas and all of the things that are being said, we will have a fundamental shift in our economic model, in how we live, how we travel, but that needs... And change makes us uncomfortable, there's no doubt. But it's actually such an enormous change that if Mm. you look at it in the big scale, we will do nothing. But if you bite off it bit by bit, we will do something. So there are changes being made. We are, if you like, aware of waste, even food waste. We're much more aware of that now than we used to be. The whole plastics debate has focused attention. These are small parts of the big story. And diet is part of it and, and how, how what we do with our land. And I hope that when we're talking about agriculture policy and reform, that we will look at a land use policy. Because rather than, again, having a debate about forestry, for example, people in Leitrim believe there's too much forest in Leitrim. Other parts, there aren't enough. Why don't we sit down and say, in order to do the right thing for um, the farming community and the wider society, that we need to look at everything, crops, livestock, forestry, um, space for nature. Plastic, for instance. Well, we don't want that in our ditches. And in our sea. If you look around the countryside, you can see, Mm. oh, even Mm. this weekend, where people were literally dumping their waste on other people's backyards. So there's a lot of learning to be done. I think the worry we have is that we don't have all the time in the world to waste around this issue. So I I would hope that rather than farmers feeling that they're under pressure alone, that they understand actually we all have to make big, big changes and that we're all part of the solution to a problem which seems almost too big to grasp sometimes. But it certainly is a big issue. I mean, okay, Brexit is the big talking point in our area, but, you know, climate isn't far away from it in terms of the changes. I want to break this in a moment. I don't know if you had a chance to read the uh, Independent this morning, but one of the authors of a global report recommending meat consumption be reduced by 90 Ninety yeah. percent admitted that we didn't go into the consumer and farmer side. So this is the Eat Lancet Commission yes. on Food, Planet, Health. What have you? It brings together top scientists to actually look at healthy food consumption. Uh-huh. And the author of this, Professor Jessica Fenzo, she'll be visiting Cork uh, University College Cork on Thursday, and she seems to be rowing back. She's accepted that the report didn't address the domestic concerns and particularly the agricultural concerns against the backdrop yeah, of Brexit. But, but which is Exactly so, what you're saying. Yeah, and also the time scale. I suppose a headline always leads the story. But in fact, if you read the report, and I did read the Lancet report, it's much more nuanced about mm-hmm. when and how we will, if you like, transition to different diets, to different lifestyles. But it also talks in that report about a thing which um, some NGOs dislike, sustainable intensification of land. So in other words, we need to get more out of the land we're using in farming rather than using land that's under forestry currently around the world and bringing it into production. So I I'd be interested to hear when she presents in Cork this week about the more detail that is in this Lancet report. And I suppose it speaks to the reality that much of our debates, whether it's here in studios or other places, is led by a headline. 
But actually, the story behind that headline is much more complicated and requires cooperation across political divides, which I think is the most important thing. If people are using climate change as a political weapon, if you like, to get power, then I think it is a huge disservice to humanity and to the work that we are charged to do. You mentioned there land and land usage and, and, you know, using it and looking at it creatively in different ways. I think that's one of the criticisms a lot of tourists to Ireland would offer. There seems to be a lot of land lying there doing nothing. Why is that? And is that our tradition to go for, or is it even just the payment schemes and the payment systems allowed for an an evolution of a certain type of farming that we haven't really looked at other more intensive types of farming? There would be other people who would come here and say we're doing too much intensive farming. Mm. So there isn't quite a settled view on this. Parts of our countryside are not, if you like, suited to intensive dairy or intensive But they don't beef. look cultivated or used in the way we would but see you in see European countries. What we're trying to persuade people of, including the lovely gardeners, we all love the gardeners, to leave the weeds alone. We're actually saying we have become too sanitised and we're trying to control nature. I mean, I, I see people spraying under hedgerows and leaving a bare soil, but that's not nature or natural. So in terms of our, our impression of what's happening around our countryside, there are parts um, of of our countryside that are better off left as they are because they cannot be used intensively and maybe there are other parts of our country where we are over intensified and we need if you like to be careful of that because look how easy it is to contaminate waterways not just um, with effluent but also sprays that might be used so run off and yeah and I know that in the last five ten years in the European Parliament we've been leading this debate and then it comes to a head in member states and what I would hope would be is that rather than us blaming each other, um, because I put my hands up, I've already said, I mean, we, we fly to the European Parliament and, and travelling by air is just not a great thing for the climate, that we all, we all sit down and say, well, what can we do, each of us, in our own sectors to improve the way we live so that it benefits our climate. And it does require such fundamental change that I fear if we push people away to the margins that they will resist change. And that's why I made those comments. I don't disagree with some of the detail in the comments. And if they are nuanced in a respectful way to different groups, Mm -hmm. then I think they can be helpful. But if they simply point the finger at you because of the way you live and that you're the problem, then you will not make any progress. Well, the IFA, obviously, and the ICMSA have also supported this notion that it's open season on farmers and you can't be pointing the finger. And interestingly, uh, a conversation at my own dinner table at the weekend and the young people were saying, sure, they're telling us to eat avocados and it takes 27 litres of water to produce an avocado and then you have to ship it in from wherever and the air miles and all of that. Well, at least yours are well informed. Um, But I do think you're right. The reason the comments are pertinent is it's just the times we're living in. And also remember that when the economy was on its knees that it was the agriculture sector because they were producing dairy and beef and lamb that actually increased exports and helped our economy in those darkest of days and to some extent there is a feeling amongst the rural community that perhaps that's not been respected now and they do know that they have to make changes and already they are doing this smart farming which is helping to reduce emissions so I think it's better if we could in this debate have more you know polite language perhaps not just targeting individuals Well you're famous for insisting on polite language in the house you do wave that finger and tell them off from time to time It's the gavel (laughs) Yeah I have to on occasion do that But indeed it's gone very very rough but 
you're saying about, you know, open season and farmers and, and we, we get that. Is there an anxiety there because of a, a fear of a reducing UK market because of Brexit? Is well, that causing see, a lot of the tension? A, yeah, and there's already a Brexit effect on the beef sector. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I need to get behind the figures. The drop in, in, in demand in the UK for beef is quite, you know, at a high level. I'm surprised at that. But there is a Brexit impact. So farmers are not just worried about what might happen. They're taking the hit now as farmers. So they're quite, quite worried about that. And the uncertainty, because we know the House of Commons will resume again this week on Brexit, but we've no idea the direction of travel. We're hoping that they will ratify the withdrawal agreement. We've almost forgotten about it because we had a week of uh, Brexit-free time, which I think helped uh, focus minds. And, uh, you know, in that context, um, you know, when you think of focusing minds, look what happened in Derry in recent days and the tragedy of a young woman, a young journalist being shot, murdered on the streets of Derry at a time when we had a delegation from the United States. In, they had been to Derry and they were in Belfast offering their support for, you know, being protective of the Good Friday Agreement. Michel Barnier over the weekend also put out a message. Condemning the murder. Yeah, and he's really concerned. And a lot mm. of us who deal with this, a lot of our work is not on the public level, but it's on, you know, one-to-one meetings with different people to say, look, be very careful here. We're dealing with a very sensitive situation. It's we- very complex in the North, obviously. Mm. But do you think there's a Brexit impact there as well on the anxiety? on the increased violence on this sort From of... day one, there's been a Brexit impact because the people of Northern Ireland voted to remain in the European Union. Secondly, they have no political assembly that represents their view. And thirdly, the DUP find themselves in an unprecedented, powerful situation propping up the British government. And I have led and brought groups from Northern Ireland who couldn't find a voice They've been to Brussels to talk to the Barnier team and it's been very sad to listen to those people. And what's even sadder would be the emails I get from individuals who may not be very politically active or loud in their um, voicing their concerns, but just say to me, look, please be mindful that there are tensions reappearing and try and protect rather than downgrade what is currently the situation. There must be huge confusion and you must have heard that in those meetings because they're between a rock and a hard place, mm. they're caught between two stools, mm. they mm. really don't know where they're going to fall out in the in the end of all of this. Well, I, for example, I was in um, Fairy House yesterday in the glorious sunshine and a couple came up to me and they were from Northern Ireland and they just said very gently, thank you for the work you do, please don't forget us. Don't forget about And they us. were a Northern Ireland they were just, couple. Yeah, out having uh, fun at the races, but their demeanour was serious when they spoke to me about Brexit and the impact on them. And that's why I talk to British politicians all the time, even those that I might have difficulty trying to convince, to say to them, There's, there are bigger issues at stake here than this idea you have of taking back control, of not needing the European Union. The one place that absolutely needs the European Union is Northern Ireland. Because do they fear being abandoned by everybody I, I think in the fallout? Do. I think there are groups in Northern Ireland who feel who feel with some justification that their voice was not aired or heard during the referendum campaign. And they are saying to us politicians in the South, remember us, don't forget about us. They are fearful. And I think we should reflect on what has happened in the last week and be very worried about what has happened. As a former journalist, were you very shocked to see that happening again? Oh, I thought it was just the worst. I mean, I woke up, looked at my phone and I just, I I was just gutted. For the poor family, for her as an individual, a very powerful woman, you know, Mm. she'd a lot done in 29 years. 
And just the tragedy that she was there and that people shot into a crowd. If it wasn't her, it was going to be someone else. The fact that it was a young journalist, I think, just has upset so many people. Um, And when you listen to the comments from Derry and people trying to respect her legacy and trying to say to groups who are doing otherwise, don't do this, not in our name. And remember, we've gone through a long period of relative peace We need to cement that, not chip away at it. And as we were saying earlier this morning, condemnation from all sides. Maybe there is some little chink of something good happening in there that there is such revulsion. I think I suppose we can't lose hope above all else. Yeah. Maureen McGuinness, uh, thank you for joining us today. Orla Comedy on LMFM. It's time now, as always, on a Tuesday for our crime slot with local Gardaí and we're joined by Garda Liam Hennessy from Slane Garda Station. Good morning, Garda Hennessy. And a lot of crime happening in the morning. We've been talking about it all morning here on the uh, on the programme. The theft of the two ATM machines from John Street in Kells. What's the latest on that? Morning, Orla. Um, I would like to talk to your listeners this morning regarding the serious incident that occurred in Kells in the early hours of last Friday morning the 19th of April, where two ATM machines were stolen from the AIB Bank and the Bank of Ireland on John Street in the town. A large amount of vehicles were used to carry out this theft, and I would also like to go through the theft of these, which occurred in both Louth and Mead in the days before. Firstly, in the early hours of Thursday, the 11th of April, between midnight and 7.45am, a black Toyota Hilux crew cab was stolen from a house in Knockaboy's Reistown. The following night, Friday the 12th, and in the early hours of Saturday the 13th of April, a dark brown coloured Volkswagen Jetta with a 131 LH registration number was stolen from a house in Baltrasna, just outside RD. Then, on the night of the 18th into the 19th of April, a yellow JCB fast track and low loader trailer were stolen from a yard in Mullinstown, RD, sometime between 9pm and 8.30am the following morning. Again, between the same dates and times, the 18th and 19th of April, an orange Hitachi digger was stolen from lands at Cruistown Nobber during that night. If I could appeal to anyone who saw anything suspicious in the area that I've mentioned at Knockaboy's Reistown, Baltrasta and Mullinstown in RD, Cruistown Nobber, or indeed saw these vehicles on the road in the period leading up to the theft of the ATMs in Kells, that they would help my colleagues at Kells Garda Station to solve this very serious crime. Just before you move on there, uh, Garda Hennessy, so obviously these machinery, this equipment was stolen prior to the incident in Kells in the small hours of the morning of the 19th of April. So it could have been earlier that same evening that they were stolen, 1am, 2am in the morning, because the, the crime took place in Kells, 3, 3.30, wasn't that correct? So the time we're looking at is about 12, 1am maybe? Absolutely, and and these vehicles may have been on the road and perhaps somebody Moving. saw them travelling quite, quite well on these roads and they might be in a position to help us too. So that was Thursday night coming up to Good Friday morning. Correct. So anybody who was around those areas that driving home maybe late might have spotted and any little piece of information I know is helpful if they were seen, yeah. Absolutely. The actual theft of the ATMs occurred at 4.24am on John Street in Kells and all of the aforementioned stolen vehicles were involved in this theft. The Gardaí at Kells are anxious to speak with anyone who saw this brown Volkswagen Jetta in the town in the hours before the theft. It is believed at this point the car bore the false registration plate 131MH and was in Kells for approximately one hour before the theft occurred. 
the removal of the ATM machines from both banks would have caused a considerable amount of noise, so perhaps somebody heard or saw this crime as it happened. Now, following the theft at 4.29am, the black Toyota Hilux with a trailer carrying the two ATMs and in convoy with the brown Volkswagen Jetta travelled from Kells to Carlinstown Village, where it turned left for Kilbeg. The remaining stolen machinery, which was the orange Hitachi Digger and the yellow JCB Fast Track and Low Loader, were left at the scene by these criminals. And finally, on Sunday morning last, the remaining vehicles were found burnt out in a remote area at Barley Hill, approximately four kilometres from Kingscourt. This, consist- this consisted of the black Toyota Hilux and trailer and the two ATM machines and the dark brown Volkswagen Jetta. Now, this crime has shocked the people of Kells and surrounding areas, and this morning I'm making an appeal to your listeners that if they have any information in relation to the thefts of this machinery from Knockaboy's Reistown, Baltrasna and Mullinstown in RD, and Cruistown in Nobber, <coughs> the movement of these vehicles in the hours before and at the time of the theft on John Street, that they could make contact with the local guardian Kells and help them bring the perpetrators of this crime to justice. So that's a reminder, it's a black Toyota Hilux, a brown Volkswagen Jetta and then the yellow JCB and trailer and anybody who noticed any of those. We've only a short while left. Tell us a little bit about the shooting incident in Rockfield Manor in Dundalk. On Sunday night, the 21st of April at 11.40pm, a shooting incident occurred at a residence in Rockfield Manor on Hoys Lane in Dundalk. Two shots were fired at the front living room in Dover House. Two small children, aged two and four, were in the room at this time and thankfully both children were unharmed. My colleagues at Dundalk Garda Station are anxious to speak with anyone who saw anything unusual or noticed any strange vehicles in the Rockfield Manor, Hoys Lane areas to make contact with them and assist them in solving this crime. And then finally, an arson attack on a house in St. Lawrence's Park this morning. Excuse me. Shortly after 1am this morning, a petrol bomb was thrown at a house in St. Lawrence's Park in Drogheda. The occupant of the house was awoken by the noise as the front window was broken. Gardaí were at the scene within a very short time and the fire was extinguished, stopping any further damage. We would like to appeal to anyone who saw any person or vehicle acting suspiciously in the St Lawrence's Park area to contact my colleagues at Drogheda Garda Station. All right, Garda Liam Hennessy of Slane Garda Station, thank you so much for joining us today. And the Garda Confidential line is 1-800-666-111. If you have any information at all, no matter how small, about any of those incidents, the Garda would be really grateful for your support and your help with that. That's all for today on the Michael Reid Show. Thank you so much for joining me, Orla Carmody. It was lovely to be back with you once again. Michael Reid will be here with you again as usual tomorrow morning. And for me, have a great day. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cartman Cross Credit Union. Getting hitched? Cartman Cross Credit Union likes to say I do when financing your wedding loan. O'Neill Street, Cartman Cross or CartmanCrossCU.ie. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 